You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Students of our church and desires to disciple them into Christ-like maturity. Thank you for this day. Help us to thank you and have a spirit of thanksgiving for it is the week of thanksgiving. We pray your blessings upon us as we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today is a fond farewell. I'll tell you, I've been to many churches where the pastor, the last time he preaches, he just lays it all down on, this, on the congregation. And when I mean lay it down, he just tells them all the criticism, all the bitterness, all the resentments that he's had. And you know what's interesting? The congregation loves it. Because they know it's his last day, and there's usually the most popular turnout during that Sunday is when that pastor preaches his last one. There was this one pastor, he took a a giant metallic box, and he had a whole bunch of tools. And the tools represented all of his ideas that he wanted to pass to the congregation, to the leadership and the deacons of his church, and they were all rejected. And so each of the the tools for his last sermon, he would take one tool, share about what a great idea it was and how it was rejected. And he took the tool and then threw it in the box and went clang. And then he took another tool, threw in the box, clang. And then at the end, he said, God bless this church. And he went off, (laughs) burning all the bridges of the people, except for those few people that were for him. You know what? I think people who do that, pastors who do that, are cowards. They are cowards. They weren't man or woman enough to share the things that they didn't agree with during their tenure here, then they shouldn't be man or woman enough to share during their last sermon. Which is why, for my last sermon, we're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to talk about how awesome Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks is, especially, especially the English ministry. Thank God for CCCTO and, and, and actually your bulletins is even more pronounced, thank God, for the awesomeness of CCCTO. We have an awesome God, so therefore we have an awesome church. The church universal and the church local of which Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks is one of them. And so we're going to do some scripture reading. Why don't we stand as we read scripture? And I'm going to read first, and then I want the congregation to read again, and then I'll read it one last time. So we'll have three total times of reading this one scripture verse. And this is in the context of the incipient early church. What did they do as a church? So it goes like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's Acts 2.42. Can I have the congregation read that? All right, and I will read it one last time. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You could be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, here's the cool thing. A lot of times when we think about church, we either think this is the way we should do church. Or the other idea is how do we do church? God doesn't give us a layout of how we do church. 
And when you look at the entire world, there's so many ways of doing church. There's the beach church where they meet outside. Hawaii, a lot of churches meet outside. Then there's the traditional church, which does a liturgical service of reader response. There's the contemporary evangelical church, of which we are part of, where it's more like a casual version of the traditional worship service. There's so many different ways to do church, so many different ways to be a church, so many different ways to have a locale as a church. But check it out. Acts actually gives us what those five main purpose pillar of a church is supposed to be. That if we are doing these five things, then we're basically doing church. We're being a church. Now, here's the interesting thing. A couple of years ago, before Pastor Curtis came, we had two years of in-between, of maintenance for our English congregation. And the question was raised because there were so many areas of the different ministries that we were conducting that were now empty of leadership because Michael Weidman and Amy Weidman were the leaders of them. And we couldn't fill all those positions. We realized how much that they were doing, and we're like, oh my goodness. And one person asked this question to the general English ministry team during that time. Do you think we can actually continue to help this church grow? Because we were just a few brothers and sisters, and now we have this big, empty spot. And my answer was immediately yes. Yes, we can. We can do it. Why? Because I understood Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And if you understand Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you realize that the doing of church and the being of church is quite basic and quite simple. We are the ones that have made it hard because we compare ourselves always with larger churches or mega churches. Of course, the average size of a church is about 70 to 140 people. In California, back in 2002, the average size of a church in California was 99 people with just one pastor. But we never think about that. We always think about Calvary Church, right? Cornerstone, Lake Avenue Congregational Church, Lakewood Church, with the highly esteemed and biblically accurate Pastor Joel Olstein. We think about their, those churches and we see all of the things that they do, all of the programs, flashy lights. You know, the pastor comes out of a fog when he preaches. Wow. And then, and then the Bible is like glowing with neon, right? I mean, the Bible, some of these churches, it's so holy. The Bible floats in the air. And then the, the pastor comes out of the prayer room floating like the elves of Middle Earth. And they go, they don't even read it. The Bible emanates the verses by itself. I mean, it's, it's that. And then, but what about CCTO? But in reality, as long as we have these five things, we are a biblical church. We are a church according to God. And what are these five things? We read them. They are these, the five purpose pillars of the Christian church. One is the church is doing the apostles' teaching. Two the church is doing fellowship. Three, the church is breaking bread. Four, the church is praying. And five, although it's not listed in that list in 42, when you look beyond Acts chapter 2 and just read the whole of the book of Acts, it's obvious they involve themselves with evangelism and they involve themselves with missions, right? And I'm using evangelism missions as Evangelism being sharing the gospel locally, missions sharing the gospel far away, internationally. And 
what are these things? Well, let's unpack these things. And you'll realize that, hey, you don't have to have a lot of people, a lot of money, or even a lot of programs to do church. Church simply is a church if you're doing these things. What is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching is basically learning and applying what the Bible says with Jesus in mind and filtering it from a New Testament context. Have you ever wondered why it's called the apostles' teaching? Why don't they just say, and they devoted themselves to the Word of God, right? Wouldn't that be more universal? They devoted themselves to the Bible. Wouldn't that be easier to understand? Why is it the apostles' teaching? Well, you have to understand, remember back in that context, as most of you know, everyone was already in Acts chapter 2, Jewish and background. They went through Jewish Sunday school. They went through synagogue studies. They knew large portion of the Torah. They knew lar- large portions of the Old Testament. And now they're getting the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. And they are now hearing this quote-unquote new religious movement that has, is an offshot of Judaism called Christianity, called the way. And they realize they're using the same scriptures, but they're now interpreting it in a more clear way from the viewpoint of Jesus Christ. As I teach the youth, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now that we're living in the New Testament age, they are going to see the same Old Testament that they are raised with in a new light with the interpretive lens and filter of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And who are the perfect people? Who are the only people at that point that can teach that? It's the 12 apostles. Or actually 12 minus 1, but they replaced him. You know, that bad guy. And as well as the 70. Remember there were 70 people who also were led by the 12, who were led by the big three, who were led by the one. Jesus Peter, Paul, and John, and then the nine, and then the 70 or 72, depending on what version you use. Those were the apostles who taught the early church because they were the people who were actually next to Jesus for all three years, and they would be the the ones qualified to be able to teach the apostles' teaching. But now, of course, down the line, now it's basically the, the New Testament and then seeing the Old Testament with what the New Testament teaches. So learning and applying the Bible with the New Testament emphasis is number one, what a church is supposed to do. And so if we're getting involved in teaching the Bible and seeing it with the lens of the new covenant, and if you're in a church that does that, then you're doing what a church is supposed to be doing. Number two, you have fellowship. Now, oftentimes when we talk about fellowship, those of you that have studied fellowship immediately realize that it is not the fellowship program. I remember when I first read Acts 4, uh, I mean, for Acts 2, 42, immediately I was like, yeah, I do fellowship. I go on Friday night to my youth group, and I come back home. So I, I, I did it. I did my devotions, so that's the apostles' uh, teaching. Then I did the fellowship. And what did I do at fellowship? I went, sung five to six worship songs, contemporary worship songs. We had announcements. We had games. Then we had a Bible study. Then we had small groups. And then we, um, the, 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 the part where we used our, our mind the most was actually not 
the Bible study, it was where we didn't want to eat after fellowship was over. Have you noticed when you discuss where you're going to go eat as a fellowship afterwards, that you never, it's never a list of places where you want to eat and you have to choose one. It's always a place of where most people don't want to eat. And then the alpha male or female says something and they go, okay, yeah, let's do that. And you're like, well, I, I mentioned that I wanted to go to IHOP. Why did the people say no to that? But then when that person, when Jane says, I want to go to IHOP, everyone says so, right? And so the, 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 the time that you spend the most at fellowship is after fellowship discussing where you're going to go eat. And then all of the talk happens where it's casual and you really get everything out. So true fellowship actually happens post-fellowship. We all experience that. We just never think about it that way, right? But the fellowship is not the program because if that is the fellowship experience, you haven't really fellowshiped. You've done actually worship and the apostles' teaching and some fun games, but you haven't done fellowship. Fellowship is koinonia when you're able to get together in Christ and minister to one another. You care for one another and you help one another in your spiritual needs, in your emotional needs, and in your physical needs. So, of course, when someone is going through a rough time, maybe one of their relatives passed away and they need prayer and you go next to him or her and say, hey, let me pray for you. That's fellowship. When you guys talk together about something spiritual from the Bible and you share your hearts with one another, not just facts, but you share how you feel about who God is along with the facts and it ministers to your soul and you apply it to your life. That's fellowship. When someone needs food because they're going through a hard time and they don't have time to provide for themselves and you set up a meal train for them and you actually bring them food and spend some time with them, that's fellowship. We call it care ministry, right? We call it friendship. We call it hanging out with them to help them out. The Bible calls that true fellowships. And guess what? Our church does the apostles' teaching. And our church, more often than not, does fellowship. I see meal trains all the time. We're like meal train masters. We, we cook. And if you don't cook, you don't have to cook. You just go to KFC and get them, you know, really good food. I mean, we, are a, we, we pray for each other, right? I see people helping each other out. You're texting each other encouragements. I see that all the time, especially in, in, in the youth college group. I see that. Number three, we have the breaking of bread. So back then, this must have been an art form. They took a piece of bread and they broke it. And that was considered spiritual. All right, number four, just kidding, okay? <laughs> Breaking of bread, what does that mean? That's metaphorical for actually not just the Lord's Supper. Originally, I thought, oh, this must be the Lord's Supper. This must be the Holy Eucharist. This must be communion, right, where they break the bread. It represents Jesus Christ's body broken for them, for us. And then they drank the cup, which represents the new covenant in Christ's blood. But it was more than that, because if you read from a cultural perspective, historical perspective, it included the Lord's Supper service at the end of their table fellowship. They would have something called the love feast, where they would gather together and have a big meal together. And then at the end of the meal, they would have the time of communion to remember that they were all together because of their unity in Christ, right? That's the breaking of the bread. And I do not think our church would be guilty if we didn't have this because, my goodness, 
Like, when I started at this church, I was 200 pounds. Now I'm 300. Every year, I've gained 8 pounds because of the breaking of rice, of noodles, the breaking of, of chicken, the breaking of all about everything, hamburgers, fries, the breaking of Coke and Sprite, uh, the breaking of bread. Our church is, is, is well known for that. We have Auntie uh, Nancy, who was well known for the breaking of bread. We have Uncle Wayne, well known for the breaking of meat bread. <laughs> and we have uh, Uncle uh, Garrett Calazar, well known for the breaking of uh, sea creatures. And we, we have many people that are well known. They're, they're, they're just as uh, uh, experts in the Bible as they are in the food that they eat. They're connoisseurs of the food. That's the break. And that happens a lot because it signifies our unity in Christ. Again, we do that. We do that. We're going to do that in just what? 45 minutes. We're going to have breaking of bread right outside, right over there in the fellowship hall. And then every month we do that once. The first Sunday of each month, we remember the communion. Uh, remember the Lord's Supper and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Then, number four, we have prayer. Obviously, I don't even have to go into this. We even have a night where we dedicate one whole hour to that. It's called prayer meeting, prayer fellowship, Wednesday night. All of our congregations have that. Now, prayer comprises not just of requests made to God. When we think of prayer, often it's requests made for God because that's the first thing that we think about when we think of prayer. But prayer also comprises individual worship of God, corporate worship of God, like what we're doing right now. It also includes praising God and thanking God, whether for, that he did something for us or even if he didn't do anything for us. That all is included in the word prayer, praising, worshiping, and requesting of God. And like I said before, we do that here at Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks. And last but not least, evangelism and missions, sharing the gospel of Jesus near and sharing the gospel of Jesus far. We just had Mexico missions trip announced. We have career missionaries that we support, even in our midst, that come back and visit us quite often, like Dr. Chow and, and Mrs. Chow. And we have Youth Summer Missions Project, China Missions. We have a church plant also, we, and, and not in the United States. It's amazing, all the missions that we do, all the missions. I believe more than 25 or 30% of our budget goes to missions. As CCCTO, we do that. Now, before we move on, I want us to realize that notice that you can't truly fulfill these five purposes by yourself, right? This generation, one of the things that categorize this generation and the young generation is the appearance and the growth of nuns, right? Don't you see that? All your daughters want to become Catholic and they want to put a hood over themselves and live in a convent. No, not, those aren't the nuns that I'm talking about. I mean nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They have a category when they do religious surveys by Barna and other groups called nuns, meaning that these are people that don't categorize themselves formally as part of a religion or denomination, but they're spiritual. 
I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Oh, I follow Jesus by myself. I'm not really part of any organized religion. But yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't like calling myself a Christian because that's a dirty word now. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of the way. Let's use the original term. And because none of those categories are, are there, they'll just put none. And maybe like on the side, they'll put uh, follower of Jesus or something. So the rise of nuns have, is characterized of in our generation and the next, my generation and the next generation. And because the rise of nuns have been uh, growing, what has happened was, is that there's a whole bunch of Christians out there that don't go to church. They're born-again Christians. They believe the same thing we do, but they don't go to church. We all know some of them, right? I'll prove it to you. How many of us have friends that don't really go to church, but you know they're Christian and they say they're Christian? Raise your hand. All right, half of us. So we have people that are like, they can go to church. They can easily go to church. Church is within walking distance of them. They can go to church, but they choose not to because they don't believe and agree with institutionalized or organized religion, which has been corrupted by the political hierarchy of church leadership. That's how they see it. But here, look at this. You can't get away. You can't be a nun and fulfill the purpose of the church. And we realize here that by default, the DNA of being a biblical church means that you have to do it as a group. You have to do it as a church rather than as an individual. You can get away with the apostles' teaching, right? Oh, I just turn on YouTube and listen to, you know, Ravi Zacharias or William Lane Craig or I listen, I listen to, you know, Benny Hinn or others. Listen to John MacArthur, right? Yeah, it's great. I'm doing the apostles' teaching. How about fellowship? Uh, I don't need that. Well, the Bible says you do, right? How about breaking of bread? Uh, I break bread more than three times a day by myself. That's not the context of the Bible saying. You're supposed to do this together, right? Prayer. The whole context of Acts chapter 2 is corporate. It's you're doing this together. So you can get away with maybe apostles teaching prayer and evangelism missions. You could do that by yourself if you take away that scripture verse from the context of Acts chapter 2, but you still can't get away from fellowship. You still can't get away from the breaking of the bread, unless you do incredibly interpretive gymnastics to the passage. Oh, I have fellowship with God, so I am not doing it by myself. When I break the bread, I think about the Lord, so I'm communing with God. Um, sure, sure thing, man. Yeah, maybe it's good that you don't join this, this church because <laughs> you're, you're way out there. No, you need to get together in a community, right? So I am admonishing and also encouraging, maybe you're here because this is the last day Pastor Peter is here, and you usually don't go to church because you do think that uh, it's unnecessary. It's necessary. And please encourage your friends who are spiritual nuns, religious nuns, this verse that is supposed to be done corporately, not individually. Now, here's the thing again. Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks does all of these things. Praise God. And the reason why a lot of times we complain or don't really praise God, even though we do all of these things, because, again, we like to compare our church with bigger churches or even churches of the same size that do 
different things or maybe do it better in your opinion. Often people like to compare our church with other larger ones and complain because they have X, Y, and Z, and we only have A, B, and C. But let me tell you something. If you had a choice between being X, Y, and Z and being A, B, and C, why wouldn't you want to be A, B, and C? A, B, and C are the first three letters of the alphabet. X, Y, and Z is at the end. I want to be A, B, and C. Let me tell you something. All right? But seriously, if you are doing these five things, according to God, you're as biblical as that other church that has X, Y, and Z. You're as biblical as the other church, and you are a success in God's eyes. So in my opinion, and by the way, may I say in God's opinion, that's us. We are succeeding before Christ. And of course, every church has room to grow. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't have room to grow. What I'm saying is there's a lot of things to be thankful to God about because we are fulfilling God's mission for us according to the early church in what it is described in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And let's just keep growing in our success. Now, the title of this message is Thank God for the awesomeness of CCCTO. There's a lot of reasons to thank God for why it is awesome. I have listed many here, and I'm going to focus on the bold-faced ones because for me, it is very germane to, to me as a pastor in the past 12 years, or specifically nine and a half years and youth director for three years. But some things that I'm not going to go into detail, but I would like to mention, for example, we always have good biblical message. We always have good biblical messages. Yes, there are churches out there that don't have biblical messages. I can tell you stories, especially during my sabbatical. Oh, man. So, some of these bishops, they failed. They failed in, in the apostles' teaching. They totally failed. If you want to hear it, you just talk to me and I'll tell you. Um, we're not just a social club. Most of us want to grow in Christ. Even though we're an ethnic church, most of us are Chinese-American we don't just see this as the China, local Chinatown. We actually want to grow in Christ. Um, we planted four churches. And you know what? Two of them were by accident. What? How is that possible? <laughs> we, we planted four churches, and two of them were accidental. Man, that doesn't happen in a lot of churches. Right? If you want more details, I can tell you that. Okay? Uh, our pastors come back. What? What? He's right there. <laughs> Pastor Curtis was here for what? Over seven years, right? Eight years? And he came back. Wow. I'd never heard of a church where the pastor comes back. All right. Um, we, we have a mountain. What churches do you know that has mountains? Um, we have the most popular winter shelter location for the homeless that are around us. They like us because we have so many different partitions. We have so much food, the breaking of bread, and we also have a time of Bible study and sharing. Not every church that does the winter shelter program does that, but we do, right? So I'm going to go through 10 of these, uh, and uh, I hope that you can see that these, along with the rest, are things that we can thank God for and praise God for, for our church, Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks, and here are the top 10 unique reasons to thank God for CTO in ascending order of importance. Number one, we have a parking turnaround. What other church have you been to that in the parking lot has a turnaround? 
Most churches, let me tell you, I don't know if Robert Chen is here, but he's the one that designed this church. Just a genius. Because he did that, he's a saint, man. I wanted to raise him to sainthood. Um, <laughs> most churches, there'll be a rectangle, and then at the end, it'll just end. And then you'll have to like do like a 15-point turn to get out, right? But he was a genius. He did a parking turnaround. And I, it's one of the only few turnarounds in Thousand Oaks. I only know of one other turnaround around this area, and that's right next to where Pastor Curtis lives. In Newbury Park in Dos Vientos, right next to the village, before you get to the apartments, there's a turnaround, and you can turn <laughs> around, right? But in honor of England and all of their parking turnarounds, we have a parking turnaround. So Mark Vanstone, wherever you are, this is in honor of you. Uh, from your home country, we have a turnaround. Now let me tell you something. Sometimes when no one's looking and everyone's gone, I usually park at that pastor's parking space and I can just go home. But honestly, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not joking. For fun, <laughs> I'll go this way. And then I'll slowly do the turnaround. And then sometimes, not only that, um, I'll, I'll try to go fast to see how good my car is and not flip over by doing that turnaround. Now check this out. Let me give you a future ministry, right? So whoever the future youth pastor is, you tell them I have this idea. What if we did a, a racing ministry with cars and with motorcycles? And that will be part of the obstacle where they would have to go through it. Not together at the same time, because that would be just bad, but it'll be a, a, a time race. So whoever can get the finish line, starting from over there through the, 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 the blockers, the, where the, the mounds, and the, or the, the opposite of the dips, whatever they're called, and they go around and come back, wins. That would be so awesome. One thing, make sure that they have liability forms. Not just for themselves, but for their cars. There will be accidents. I guarantee you there will be accidents. But that would be such an awesome, cool racing ministry. Tim Yao, you, you missed out. We're going to have a racing ministry using that turn around. And because you're, you're late, you're going to be the first one to sign up for that. All right? So it's fun. None other, no other church has it. We do. Use it. Okay? Please use it. It's a spiritual turnaround. All right. It represents repentance because you need to go the other way. All right. That's exactly what, why Robert did that because it represented this, the, um, the spiritual image of having to turn the other direction and follow Christ. I just made that up. Okay. <laughs> Number two, speaking about breaking our bread, we always have a lunch on Sundays. I think we take this for granted, and I know because people will always complain about the lunch. Oh my goodness, it's the same thing. We have rice, we have the greens, and then we have a little meat, only a little. And sometimes the meat is not meat, it's tofu. <laughs> and, but the cool thing is sometimes we, we have a, a pizza, right? We have pizza either from Costco or, or from Pyology, uh, the late Pyology, right? But... The thing is, we ha always have a lunch on Sundays. And let me tell you a funny thing and also a serious thing of why lunch is, is significant to our church. For my sabbatical, I went to 12 other churches. None of them do lunch. You need to go out yourself and buy lunch. None of them do lunch. They just have a, a, a short 1.25 hour worship service. And then if you want to hang out afterwards, sure. And afterwards, you have to go somewhere else for lunch by yourself. 
there are only two other churches that did lunch. One of them was the Oxnard uh, Church, right? Not our, our sister church, but, you know, the other church, the Chinese church in, in Camarillo. And then the other one was my friend's church in Walnut, also a Chinese church. The Chinese Americans are the only ones that do lunch. All the other churches I've been to that were not Chinese do not do lunch. It's great to be Chinese American. Let me tell you that. You'll get a, a, a good free or cheap lunch afterwards. But I tell you this, lunch is so important because it facilitates not just the breaking of bread, but the fellowship of the church. How many times have you gotten to know someone in a more deeper level because we had lunch? And how many times do you think you wouldn't have gotten to know that because you would just join your clique, whatever clique you're a part of, or maybe you're not even part of a clique, you'll just go, go away and go either home or go to the habit or some other place and have lunch. And that bonding isn't there anymore. So lunch is so important because although it's not necessary, it facilitates the fellowship and getting to know one another in Christ. Number three, our pastors aren't micromanaged. After seeing this, maybe you're thinking they should be micromanaged, <laughs> right? But our pastors are not micromanaged. Every pastor that I know who goes to serve at a local church does not want to be managed by the deacons, does not want to be managed by others who think that they should do a certain way of doing things as a pastor. They, want, they have their own vision from God, and if they're smart, they will relate that in a way that the church will understand, and we move forward with that vision together. You know what? When I was a youth director here, I was under Pastor Michael, but you know what was great? He didn't micromanage me. Like from time to time, he would tell me what I should do, and when he did that, usually, usually is because I needed that. So on Friday, Jerome shared, a lot of you know one of my mistakes, and it's showing signs <laughs> during one of the youth group, and it, it, it scared the brains out of a lot of the girls and, and guys who were in junior high. They couldn't go to sleep for a couple of days, and I was called. I needed to be micromanaged there, right? But what a lot of you don't realize, except for those of you who are older, I made the same mistake and worse. See, I showed signs because I thought that it wasn't this movie. It was a, a much more, uh, less horror than, than that. And so my second year here for our lock-in, our sleepover at church, I showed the exorcism of Emily Rose. And let me tell you something, it's PG-13. It's not radar, so it's okay, right? They were scared half to death. Let me tell you, but other than those times, all right, they do not manage us because they know that we're hardworking, we're reaching out to people for the Lord, we're helping them, equipping them to grow up into maturity in Christ. And that's one thing that I'm so thankful because that also shows that you trust your pastors and the pastors trust you. When there's that trust, we can do great things for God. And I experienced that here, even through some of those tumultuous times. And there were two major tumultuous times in my time, in my tenure here, my time here. But even then, I wasn't that micromanaged, and I thank God for this church for that. Number four, our pastors have longevity. Our pastors have longevity. 
2005 survey of Southern Baptist churches carried out by their survey group. Youth pastors last for an average of two to three years. That's it. Can you imagine a, a youth pastor coming and they're saying, oh, I'm going to love on your youth and minister to them. And I'm going to teach them the Bible. I'm going to care for them. And I'm going to leave in two years. What? <laughs> okay, you're hired, right? Youth pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention lasted only an average of two to three years. Then you have the general adult pastors, like the general ones who minister to the whole church. You know how many years they average? Five to six. That means you hire someone, and then within five or six years, they leave. Right? Now, the Southern Baptist Convention is not to be taken lightly, not because I used to be a Southern Baptist, but also because they're the largest denomination in the world, the largest Protestant denomination in the world, hailing 13.8 million members around the world. So I think that these stats are reliable. And the way they hire pastors is very much like the way we hire pastors. We have open hire, outside hire. It's not like some denominational board assigns us pastors. So we have the pick of the litter to choose the type of person that matches us, our theology, our way of doing things, but yet still for youth pastors, two to three years. For general pa- adult ministry pastors, five to six years. Well, you know what? As much as people like to say our church spits out pastors, our church, we have problems at our church. There's always something wrong at our church because we're churning pastors and spitting them out. Let me tell you something. Do you know that out of all the churches that I visited and I have belonged to, I haven't been to one church. Well, actually, that would be wrong. The majority of them maybe two or three that I've been a part of or visited before, did not have that same reputation. Because the average is every two to three years, the youth pastors leave. Every five to six years, regular pastors leave. Which means that common denominator and that observation is normal. It's not unique just to our church. But you know what's unique to our church? Is that we have pastors that go beyond six years. My focus is youth ministry. How long have I been here? 12.5 years. Curtis was here for what? Seven, eight years the first time and plus more now. Pastor Michael was here what? 14, 15, or 16 years? Even Pastor Tsai, as much as we have interesting things to say about him, even Pastor Tsai has been here for more than the five or six years when he was here because he was here for a long, long time right? And by the way, the amazing thing is, accidentally, we branched a church off from him. That's awesome. He's one of the accidental church plants. (laughs) But here's the thing I want to share. That means we're doing something right. When a church has pastors that stay longer, much longer than the national average in, in terms of their pastors, that means we're doing something right. Of course, we could do better. No one's saying we can't do better, but there's something to be thankful for because we're going beyond the average. We're above average. Yeah, we're above average. We're unique and significant in that way, and that's something that we could thank God about. Number five. Number five. Check this out. Have you thought about this? We are the only Chinese-American church 
that have Mandarin, Cantonese, and English-speaking congregations in the Ventura County and Conejo Valley. Like, if you're from L.A., something like this is normal, right? You go to Mandarin Baptist Church of Los Angeles, and you have all three congregations. You go to some other Chinese-American church, they have the Chinese side and the English side. And most of them, the English side is a full-fledgling congregation, meaning that there's adults there, too. It's not just a whole bunch of children from the Chinese side, whether it be Mandarin or Cantonese. But here in Conejo Valley and Ventura County, we're the only one that has this. That's unique. You know what that makes us? That makes us the Walmart of Chinese church here. We are the one-stop shop that people will go to first. That sounds funny, but it's true. When they look for Chinese church, we're one of the first listed on the Google search engine or the Yahoo search engine. And when you click it, you see full ministries for English, Cantonese, and Mandarin. And so if you're an immigrant from any of the Asian countries and you have kids that are more Americanized, you're not going to go to some of these other Chinese churches. Although as good as they are, you're going to come here first. And that's something to thank God about because we have the first choice of the people who come here to minister to them. And they see us as the first choice to go to, too. So the opportunities are very great for evangelism uh, and for local missions here. That's a great thing, right? We're the only ones. You have to go, if you go north, there's nothing. Yes, there's a Chinese church in Santa Barbara, but I don't think that they have a full-fledgling ministry like we have in all congregations you got to go all the way to maybe San Fernando Valley for something like we have here. I was thinking about this. In Christendom, especially in evangelical Christendom, one thing that is significant and unique about the, the way churches are is that we have celebrity churches. Have you noticed that? Right? We have hot churches. I remember um, back in the 90s and the 2000s, the turn of the millennium, the hot church was this church called Evergreen, Evergreen Baptist Church of Los Angeles with Pastor Ken Fong, right? And then after him, there's this, there's this church called New Song in Irvine with Pastor Dave Givens. And everyone wanted to learn from them. Everyone wanted to learn from Pastor Ken. And yeah, there's a lot of great things to learn from these pastors and these really cool and hip churches. I want you to think about something. Out of the Chinese-American churches that are in Ventura County and Caneo Valley, which one's the hot church? It's us. It's us. Yeah, you're like, what, us? Man, what the, come on. Warts and all, we are the hot church. We are the most popular Chinese-American church here in Ventura County and Caneo Valley. Think about that. The opportunities are great because of that. We could turn that shallow, worldly celebrityness into something really spiritual if we would just guide them, right? The sixth thing that we can thank God for the awesomeness of Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks is similar, is that we have fellowship and Sunday school for all major age groups. I'm not talking about the Mandarin ministry. I'm talking about the EM. The Mandarin ministry, they have that. But the EM, it's very rare to have an English ministry that was birthed from the immigrant ministry that is its own, can be their own church that has fellowship groups and Sunday school for all age groups, from children all the way 
to older aged adults. We have that. That's something to thank God about. And here's something very interesting. We have Sunday school. Now you might be thinking, why is that so interesting, right? How many of you have been to other churches recently? I would say within the past 10 years, like visited quite a few of them. Not many. A few, okay. Do you know one thing that's missing from them? Or there's actually several things missing from them. Sunday school is an archaic uh, program that people don't have anymore. I met up with a pastor at Starbucks, and he argued with me against Sunday school. I'm like, what? You know, why are you arguing against Sunday school? He's like, Peter, what is the rationale for Sunday school? And I told him the rationale. Well, it's people want to get together to study the Bible more and beyond the sermon. There's a lot of topics out there that we can equip our, our youth all the way to adults, our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, that's a really good thing, but really, people are, in, are interested in that. They're more interested in having shorter sermons, and if they want to learn about Christianity more, they can go to the pastors themselves or other church leaders. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? That, that's your philosophy? That's your, in uh, seminary speak, that's your philosophy of ministry? Right? Now, that's what I thought, right? I didn't tell him that. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You do your thing and I'll do my thing, okay? <laughs> you do your thing and I'll do, I'll do my thing. But the majority of churches out there don't have Sunday school. What they have is a home fellowship. They don't have prayer meeting either. They don't have Sunday school. And they have a 1.25 hour uh, service. And that's it. Right? And then we wonder and we are saddened and frustrated at the lack of biblical understanding, theological understanding, shallowness of many of the Christians here in America. I'm not saying that Sunday school would rectify that, but it surely doesn't help to not have something additional where it's biblically and theologically based. Most Christians, they don't even do devotions, personal devotions. They rely on just the 20 to 40-minute sermon on Sunday, and that's even if they go, because a lot of them don't even attend church regularly. It's become like, more like Europe, like a cultural Christianity. And so it's a sad thing. Most churches don't even have Sunday school. But check this out. We do. We do for all major ages. We do. And that's something to thank God for. Number seven, we also have prayer meeting every week. And this is so vital. Most churches, they don't have prayer meeting. All the churches I've visited, only a few of them have the old-fashioned prayer meeting. Most churches, they relegate the prayer to their fellowship groups or the prayer meeting just for the pastors, the spiritual leaders. They do the, the major spiritual work. But the regular people, they don't get together for prayer unless they call a prayer meeting. But they don't have a regular weekly prayer meeting. We do. Praise God. When you look at history and when you look at historical theology and all of the revivals, even you youth know what I'm talking about. Ever heard of the the first great awakening, right? Ever heard of the second great awakening? You may have heard of the first great awakening, 
in which it completely changed society, morally speaking, and hundreds of thousands of people came to know Christ, and it infected everything in a positive way. Some of you may have heard of the Second Great Awakening, but do you know that the Great Awakenings, there were not only two of them. There were dozens of Great Awakenings that have happened throughout history where it literally changed society. People who were politicians who were non-believers became Christians. Bars and nightclubs would close down and people would go to church and ask for a pastor to be there. And the pastor is really woken up and go to a church building that's enthronged with people who want to know how to believe in God and believe in Jesus. Do you know the common denominator of all of these great awakenings? It was a few people who gathered together every week to pray. The prayer fellowship, the prayer meeting has always been the foundation and the beginning of these great awakenings. And guess what? We have that at our church. We have a prayer meeting each week. A plug for a prayer meeting, prayer fellowship. Please go, right? Pray for revival. Pray for the souls of your friends at the prayer meeting who are not believers yet. Pray for the sick to be healed. Pray for our community. Pray for our nation. Come to prayer meeting. Number eight, our missions trips actually do evangelism rather than just social work. Do you know this picture right here is probably a bad example because this is one of those missions trips that I'm talking about that just does social work. I'm serious. Me, Niall, Caitlin, Ashley, Grace, we got together, drove 14 hours to Window Rock, Arizona. And what did we do? We went to paint houses and to play games with children. And then when I asked the question, because I was one of the only evangelical pastors there, right? the rest of them were from mainline denominations, I said, um, do we get to share the gospel? And I said, oh, no, 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 that's not our job to share the gospel. We'll let the local Presbyterian church that hosts us do that. You just concentrate on renovation. I'm like, bro, we're spending $278 a person, and that's not even the rental car cost, the rental van cost, or the gas, and we're here just to paint houses and to do some renovation. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, okay? But we could do that at home, right? Like, Where's the eternal lives that are saved through the gospel message? It wasn't there. It wasn't there. But we do have mission trips that do that. I know the Mexico mission trip shares the gospel. Youth Summer Missions Project shares the gospel. A lot of the mission trips that we do, we actually share the gospel. And we actually do that more so than the social work. We actually go door to door at Youth Summer Missions Project. We make sure that every ministry that we do, we have some people share their gospel testimony and give an invitation for them to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Our missions trips actually do evangelism rather than just social work. It's more like the book of Acts than anything else, all right? So we have that and to be thankful for. Number nine, we have a plurality of equal pastors and elders, We have a plurality of equal pastoral leadership. Now you're like, why is that significant? Because of two things. 
<laughs> those of you that are ministry leaders know that over 90% of the churches are run by senior pastors. It's a CEO business model where you have the senior pastor at the top, and then you have assistant associate pastors next to them, and then the youth pastor and children pastors and worship pastors are under them. But very few churches actually have a church where you have a plurality of equal pastors and elders who lead the church together. This is so rare that when you go to seminary, you have professors, seminary professors, who go, it would be great if we could change this worldly business model to something where you have a group of uh, pastors that actually work together as equals and lead the church together and take turns doing equal ministry. Yeah, we should pray for that day to happen. The day has happened, and it happened over a decade ago, 20 years ago. Here, it happened. It happened. We are doing that here. We have a group of equal pastors and elders leading the church together. We are the envy of seminary professors. I only know one other church that does um, pastoral leadership like we do here today, and that's Contra, Gospel, um, Contra Costa Gospel Church. It's a Chinese church up in Walnut Creek, that when I was a youth pastor at Japanese Christian Church of Walnut Creek, we partnered with them, and they actually have that. And yes, they have the same interesting issues that we do. It takes forever to come to a decision because we all have to have unanimity in our vote. But when they do have unanimity, man, total support. All, everyone in the congregation loves it. Their pastors are unified, and they're leading to a certain direction. Last but not least... We actually do personal discipleship rather than just talk about the importance of it. Haven't, aren't we tired of going to churches where they go, oh man, you know, there's so many people that are lost out there, but we got to really reach them. Okay, let's close in prayer, right? Or, oh man, you know, so many of us, we don't know the Bible that well, and we haven't gone through from Genesis to Revelation, and that's a really sad thing. Okay, let's close in a word of prayer. And we don't do anything about it. No, if you're a good pastor, what you will do is you'll actually lead the people to do evangelism. You actually set the example and you take people with you to actually go on these missions trips or go door to door locally and lead evangelism. You actually come up with the plan to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. You, you take one of those, those Bible pamphlets that have, you could check off how many chapters each day and give it to them and then keep them accountable and go through reading through the Bible in a year or reading through the Bible in two years, reading through the Bible in three years and lead them and go through with them. And when it comes to discipleship, this is also another thing that seminary professors wish that their churches were doing. We have a plan for evangelism. We have the four spiritual laws. We have the Roman road. We have the one verse evangelism. We have Ray Comfort tracks. We have chick tracks. You guys remember those chick tracks? There's actually cussing in those tracks. Crazy, awesome stuff. But where's the discipleship material? You know where it is? It's here. We have it. Pastor Curtis has a vision for discipleship, and they're already getting together in groups of threes and fours to do personal discipleship through this curriculum created by, I believe, Greg Ogden. The youth college ministry, we've been doing personal discipleship 
for the past eight years where we do one-to-one personal discipleship to help them grow in, in Christ, not just as a large group, but as individuals. The reason why Lily and Jessica became Christians and got baptized was because Tracy Lobato did one-to-one discipleship, or actually one-to-two, with them and guided them through to understand Christianity in a more personal way where they can ask questions and figure things out rather than just listen. We actually do personal, it's very rare in churches, rather just talk about the importance of it. You know what other church does it? Our doppelganger, Christian Church of Thousand Oaks, just two blocks down the street. Their youth ministry also does, they do quads, okay, four people together, and they have a really strict regime, because I met their youth pastor during sabbatical. You know who else does it? Who does discipleship? Calvary Chapel of Godspeak, Pastor Rob McCoy. They do quads also. They get together, and they do discipleship. And so we are very few. Every other church is just Sunday worship, and then you have the home group, and that's, that's it. But they don't get deeper into the word. So if you want to get into personal discipleship, Let's talk to Pastor Curtis. He will form a group for you. Let's continue to thank God for Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks. What Ken Chang is doing right there is is what this church is all about, man. It's awesome. Let's thank God for it. And let's continue to grow. According to Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. I want to close with uh, one last song. Um, before I pray and have the worship team come up. And this is a song called Pray For Me. And I'll be moving to Taiwan, as you know, next week. Uh, Please pray for me, for my future and my family there, and I will pray for you also. Why? Because that's what the song instructs me to do, so I have to do it. (laughs) It says, says, pray for me. Let's go to the next slide, and I'll pray for you. All right? I'm, I am bound by the lyrics of the song to do so. Let's sing this together. <laughs>